Joe Haddo and this is our series of interviews with the Feaston's Old Peculiar Crime Novel of the Year Award longlistees, produced and curated by Harrogate International Festivals in partnership with Feaston's Old Peculiar, WH Smith and The Express. And welcome to you and thanks for joining us. Today I'm joined by an award-winning author who started his career as a journalist. Since becoming a full-time author, his novels have sold more than two million copies in the UK alone. And he won this very award back in 2017. It's great to be here chatting with you. Welcome, Chris Brookmeyer. Hello, nice to see you again, Joe. And you. Shame it's not across the lawn in Harrison <laughs> with a beer in our hands, but yes, you know. Yes. <laughs> Um, one well, day, one day. One day, one day in the future. Where do we find you today? Uh, at home, like everybody else, <laughs> uh, in, in Bothwell and uh, just outside Glasgow, with the sun shining, which um, hey. we're very grateful for. Yeah, I bet. Can't, can't spend too much time in it, but it's better that it's there than not. Yeah, yeah well, they've opened up certain restrictions now, so I think I'm... Allowed to go out more than once a day, apparently, which is fairly crucial for me because I, I have to go outside to walk when I'm writing. Oh, and, really? Um, yeah, I, I tend to find that I, I I work by walking and dictating it on my phone, and then I come home and I transcribe my thoughts and then elaborate upon those transcriptions. But if I can't get out to walk, I can't work. I mean, in, before the lockdown, uh, through the winter months, I was to be seen looking like a deep sea fisherman as I would walk through the driving rain, uh, with okay. trying to keep the rain off my, my my phone, which was and my hands would be freezing without the cold and the wet. But I'd rather that than than trying to work at the computer. Yeah. Wow. So, do you ever just take a walk for the ideas to percolate, or is it always with a plan to sort of dictate and? Talk well, it's, it's both. You know, sometimes I'm just thinking very generally, or if, if I'm trying to get my head around the big picture for a novel, I'll often go for a run where I won't be dictating anything, but um, there's a, a kind of triage process whereby the, the sheer effort of going for a run um, just purges all sorts of unnecessary thoughts. <laughs> and all all you can think about is the story, but it's, it's more the the grand themes and the... the, the the uh, the macro of the story rather than dialogue and description, but yeah, if I'm out for a walk, it's usually to dictate ideas. Well, let's talk about your latest uh, standalone thriller then that's been longlisted for the award. It's not part of a Jack Parlamain series, uh, but it's about a family uh, and about a holiday and repercussions. What can you tell us about the temples? Um, well, they're, they're a family that have been in the public eye because the novel is very much about that, about um, being subject to public scrutiny. Um, and it's, they're a family that have gathered at their um, holiday villas. They own a couple of villas around the pool in Portugal. And um, they're gathered there as a sort of memorial holiday because the patriarch of this family, um, Professor... Max Temple has recently died. And essentially, Max's wife, Celia, uh, has been trying to get her extended family all together back to these villas for the past 16 years, um, but she's never had sufficient guilt leverage until, uh, until Max dies. And she uses that guilt leverage to get everyone to come back. But the reason 
they've been reluctant to gather there is that in 2002, Max's granddaughter, Neve, who was a toddler at the time, tragically fell off a cliff uh, and died and was never seen again. And, and the sort of suspicion and, and mutual recrimination that, that um, descended upon the family has meant they weren't all in a hurry to go back to that villa. Uh, I mean, they've all been there in little groups, but they, they've never been keen to all gather together because there's just so much bad blood in the family. We cut between timelines. There's there's 2018, there's 2002, and the chapters are from different characters' point of views. How did you tackle the writing of that? Did you just write it as we read it, or did you sort of do the years separately and bring them together? Um, I tend not to write in the sequence that a novel is written. So, um, I mean, it's a couple of years ago now, um, and I've cast my mind back. I, I probably wrote large sections um, from each character's point of view. And I, I think I wrote lots of the sort of present day chapters in a row, and then I would write a whole load of 2002 chapters in a row. Um, I mean, I didn't write the two timelines completely separately, but I, I, at the same time I would, I would hop back and forth between them once I got a bit of momentum in one timeline, I would stick with it. Mm-hmm. And then it became a, a question of, editing together and that took a, a bit of thought because I'd have to think well what am I revealing at each stage um, so th- there's, there was a lot of, of thought going into what would be revealed when and also an attempt to create a rhythm between those different characters perspectives so that you're not spending too long um, looking at the world through one pair of eyes. Yeah well it's re- I mean it's really pacey it's a, it's a fantastic book and the okay. chapters just sort of come at you and come at you and you you know you do want to just carry on reading um which which i really really enjoyed um talking about the the award very briefly you've been shortlisted many times for this prize and you won it as i mentioned back in 2017 it would have been for Mm -hmm. black widow uh, which i loved how does it feel to be longlisted again for this you know, this award, which is the, the biggest award in crime fiction. Yeah, it, it feels fantastic. Um, this year especially, even the fact that the award is still taking place, it's, it's, it's great that it's one of the things that can still take place because it's not so reliant upon those gathering together. And for me, it's, it's a, a particular um, fill-up for this book because um, I had these grand plans that when it came out in paperback that it would be uh, a holiday read, that um, the type of book that uh, was coming out in the, the early spring and the hope was that word of mouth would spread so that when people went on holiday it would be, you know, the, the, literally a swimming pool book because it's got a swimming pool in the cover. It's, it's, about, it's about some of the good things that happen on holiday, how on holidays the time you can tell the truth to each other, but that sometimes is something we all come to regret. Um, and so I had these, these grand plans for it, but um, nobody's going on holiday. But um, it, so it means a lot to get um, recognition for the book um, because I suppose when you're when you you win something like the Theakstons, there's always this sense that can you reach those heights again? And it's so it's, it's a great um, boost to the the ego and and, and just a, a a great endorsement to be listed um, for a, a prize, especially when you see the the panoply of, of magnificent fiction that's, that's on the long list this year. 
Oh, it's uh, it's just a wonderful list, as I've uh, I've said many times to all the authors that I'm talking to. Do you do you have a, a favourite or some favourites on that list that you've you've managed to read? Uh, oh, no, 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 I've gone black. Um, I particularly <laughs> loved uh, Conviction um, by Denise Miner. Denise, uh, yeah. I, th- I think that was um, a real treat because it, it, there was a great. Joy of Escapism, um, which you can relish all the more now. <laughs> Anything that involves travel is something we're all going to appreciate as a, a work of fiction. Um, conspiracy theories play quite an important role in uh, your book, just to go back to it. And I noticed at the end of the novel, you offer uh, further reading on, on the, the subject. Um, you, you mention a couple of books if you're interested in sort of pursuing it mm. further, non-fiction books. What drew you to to read about that in the first place or to explore that for a device? Um, I think uh, I've, I've always been kind of interested in the psychology of conspiracy theories more than the, the theories themselves because mm. you see so many um, consistencies um, among the different theories. They often work on the same principles. Uh, and... I think I, I was just I was just drawn to the I guess it's the, the sort of psychological um, seductiveness of a simple explanation, but also the the flaws in our, our logic and our thinking that um, give rise to conspiracy theories are, are are often the same things that we exploit as crime writers in order to <laughs> construct these uh, intriguing narratives. And I, I, I would actually make the case that. Um, Crime fiction is partly to blame for conspiracy theories. <laughs> I think that crime, crime fiction gives you not only a, a satisfactory um, explanation for complex things, but crucially, it often gives you a twist. And the, the appeal of the twist is that, that when, it's, when a twist is good, it changes the meaning of everything you thought you already understood. And unfortunately, that's the seductive property of conspiracy theories. Things you think you already understand they offer a twist, you know, a, a new explanation, um, except they don't offer evidence for it. They just offer that endorphin rush of being um, exposed to occult knowledge. So with Fallen Angel, I wanted to look at how um, in the absence of an explanation for an event such as the disappearance of a child, uh, the longer it was on, the more we fill in the, the vacuum with our own made-up theory uh, and I wanted to show how intolerable that is to the people who are at the heart of that tragedy. One of the uh, sort of standout scenes I remember is when Max is on that TV show uh, promoting a book and there's someone who's got a conspiracy theory about the moon landing and then he just r- sort of rips him apart and it's, a joy, it's quite a joy to read I imagine quite fun to write as well. <laughs> Yeah, it was. It was one of the, the most enjoyable sequences, except the, the sting in the tail is that this is meant to have taken place in about 2002. And now you will find this, the very same moon landing conspiracy theories writ even larger, believed more widely than they were back then. And it's no matter how many times you, you sort of uh, take apart the logic or show the, the, thought, the flaws in the, the conspiracy theory, it just bobs back up. I think one of the things that attracted me to it was probably the same 
ideas, the same principles as um, when I was writing Attack of the Unsinkable Rubber Ducks, because that was all about belief in psychics and mediums and the paranormal. And it's the same thing, no matter how much evidence you try and hammer down uh, the throats of, of people reporting these things, they still seem immune to it. They bob back up and the conspiracy theories never seem to die. In fact, all the evidence you can range against it becomes part of the conspiracy theory. You know, there's always a way of saying, ah, but the, you've, you are part of the conspiracy or you, 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 um, the evidence you're putting forward has been fabricated in order to, to discredit this conspiracy. <laughs> um, one final question before we go. We've already talked about, you know, the, the prize and being long-listed for, for the award, but I just wondered what, the Thieks and Old Peculiar Crime Novel of the Year Award actually means to you as someone who's won it but also is mm. is once again on, on the list? Um, the award means so much to me. Uh, it, it's the biggest prize in crime, crime fiction, um, certainly in, in the UK and probably wider than that. Uh, and so I think in a way it feels like the... Um, like the, the sort of vindication of your peers. You know, you, you feel that you, when you see the long list and then you see the short list and you think, well, if, if my book is being considered among uh, these fantastic writers, these fantastic novels, then it says an awful lot about that book. Uh, and so to, to win it was one of the most special moments of my entire career. That was a great year as well. I, you know, I, I just remember there being such a great atmosphere in the room, as there always is at Harrogate. But that year was very sunny, and it was just and there was just loads of people there that seemed to stay for the whole weekend. And it's a very, it was a very memorable one, I think. 2017. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I didn't yeah. even win it. <laughs> um, Fallen Angel by Chris Brookwire is published by Abacus and just a reminder that you get to vote for the shortlist so if you want to see this book on the shortlist uh, then you have to go to harrogatethekstoncrimeaward.com and you can put your vote there or if you haven't read Fallen Angel yet then you should and why not buy it from WH Smiths and then go and vote. Uh, Chris, it's been lovely to catch up with you. And although we haven't managed to, you know, see each other in person or indeed over a curry, um, it's been great to, to chat. And what are you working on at the moment? Is there a, is there a new book in the offing? Yeah, um, I've finished my own solo standalone novel, um, which should be out in the sort of early spring 2021, although the, the, the title has not been finalised yet, so I can't really say that. And uh, my, my wife Marissa and I are working together on the new Ambrose Parry novel just now. Great. Well, we wish you all the best for those, and we wish you best of luck with the shortlist, and thank you again for talking to us. Pleasure, Joe.